This podcast is the recording of the first crypto roundtable of Haas Fintech Club on April 22nd. The event was hosted by Yuxing Chen and Andrea Zhang. The topic today is how crypto startups can be the next driver of fintech. We invited three crypto startup co-founders to the event. First, we have Betty Chung, co-founder of Akela. Next, we have Ashley Brooke Taylor, co-founder of Resource Network. Last but not least, Bernardo McNanny, co-founder of Lastbit. Okay, great. Then we start. Um, so thanks everyone for joining. Uh, like it's a great honor to have you all, and uh, it's really exciting uh, for me as well, um, because like uh, crypto has always been. Uh, the passion and also the direction of my current career. And from 2018, I personally think that crypto will one day become like bigger and bigger to the extent that one day uh, people will uh, become more comfortable to call crypto like fintech. Uh, so that is why I, Yuxing and I think that it will be very uh, meaningful to have this kind of discussion to see how crypto can become the next driver of fintech. And uh, during the past year, uh, we have actually already seen a lot of big announcements from the big names, um, like you can name it. Um, but how about uh, the crypto startups? Um, during my investment career at NGC Ventures, I saw a lot of um, exciting uh, like initiatives within this space, not only from the later stage startups or uh, the listed companies, say PayPal or Square, but uh, so some uh, very serious startup or so-called uh, like Web3 projects. So um, today uh, I want to leverage this opportunities to invite uh, the founders uh, of these uh, great projects that uh, I personally knew uh, through Berkeley community and through uh, my network in NGC Ventures. Yeah, so um, welcome all. Uh, and before we start, uh, can we like, have, um, can each of you have a, a brief introduction about uh, your project? Uh, yeah. Perhaps start with uh, Betty. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Andrea, uh, Yushin, uh, um, thanks for having me here at Berkeley. Uh, yeah, I'm quite familiar with Berkeley because um, uh, uh, as Akala uh, or Karura, we actually went through the Berkeley uh, blockchain accelerator last year. Um, and I think folks here are very lucky at Berkeley because you guys are already at the forefront of many of the initiative uh, in the space. Um, through the Berkeley blockchain program, you know, as one of the startups uh, back in early last year, so uh, March uh, 2020. Um, so Akala was actually founded uh, 20, 2019. Um, and then back in the days, we were still very young, very small startup. Um, and then throughout the program, we also went through our own sort of growth, uh, product development um, and go to market. Um, and then through that process, we also secure uh, a very strong uh, backers uh, for us to grow to the next stage. So uh, yeah, so uh, uh, right now we are, you know, building a, a DeFi uh, hub uh, or a DeFi platform plus a suite of DeFi products uh, on Polkadot, uh, and, but not limited to Polkadot uh, because we are a, a multi-chain uh, sort of solution 
uh, to kind of democratize uh, in the uh, finance for everybody around the world. Um, yeah, so so that's our project. Thanks. How about uh, Bernardo? Sure, sure, sure. Well, thanks, Andrea Yushin, for having me. First of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's always great to be in touch with the Berkeley community. So thanks a lot for having me. Um, and yeah, we can drop myself and Bernardo. I'm one of the two co-founders of LastBit, alongside my co-founder, Prashant, uh, who actually originally founded the project back in 2018. I'm more kind of like the traditional business side. Um, again, I did my MBA at Haas. I recently graduated in May 2020, so hence uh, very connected to to Andrea uh, for a few months, almost a year. No, I think like we've been in touch for for a little while, which has been pretty cool to yeah. see what what you guys are doing with the crypto community in Berkeley. Uh, I guess overall, my, our project we're uh, building a virtual payment network uh, to enable instant and cheap global payments. Uh, and we are building everything on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So think about something very similar to what Stripe is, has built, but now try to think about it being applied for cross-border payments. So what we're really in the quest of doing is enabling small businesses and fintechs to come to us, uh, access our infrastructure, and on top of us, build applications that cater to specific use cases regarding cross-border payments. So just to give an example, I would like to help companies that are trying to serve some remittances corridors, for example, Mexico and the US, and they just can come to me. I will give them access to accounts in the US. I will give them account access to accounts in Mexico. But most importantly, and the real value added, I will allow them to settle the transactions via Bitcoin and Lightning so they can just access faster and cheaper payments. As part of our journey, uh, we've been lucky enough to be uh, supported by Y Combinator. Uh, we just finished that in one month ago or something like that. And we're in the process of securing also a pretty pretty significant seed run of funding, which will allow us to get this to the next level. Okay. Yeah, uh, Ashley, I do want to share um, what resource now work with. Sure, thanks. Um, so Resource Network is a, a way for businesses to have a way to barter um, using a network currency. Um, we're launching the first one of these networks with a network currency called the Resource Dollar. Uh, you can think of it like a stablecoin. Uh, it's not backed by Ethereum or Bitcoin or anything like this. It's actually backed by the businesses agreeing to pay each other back in goods and services, uh, similar to a traditional barter network, um, but able to interoperate with a bunch of different other networks on the same protocol. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, as uh, more people joining, uh, I also want to uh, have a like a recap on the landscape of uh, FinTech. Uh, like, because like for FinTech, it's a familiar word, um, but if we, we like think um, like deeper into that, uh, things that can actually be categorized into payment, uh, lending, borrowing, investments, uh, custodian. And uh, in, it's interesting that within the crypto uh, startup space, um, like these verticals have their own counterparts. 
so that's why, uh, like for example, like last bit, uh, they focus on uh, payment and uh, Akala, uh, they also have a very great exposure, uh, like for the DeFi space, uh, including the lending and borrowing and uh, that, that we mentioned, and also some uh, crypto native application. And for uh, resource network, uh, they also fall into the uh, category of lending, borrowing, and uh, payments. Uh, so that's why um, today, I, I think it's very holistic for us to have uh, the think tech vertical, but uh, at the same time, we discuss about how the crypto startups uh, wanting to break, uh, break into the think tech space. Okay, um, so, because uh, we mentioned about like uh, fintech, uh, crypto, commercial uh, finance, um, like why the current uh, fintech or uh, the existing products can offer um, like better solution, and um, how do you think uh, that for your project, what kind of problem that you want to solve? That is, that you think that the current market uh, doesn't have the best option? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, also putting through like, what is the problem that you want to tackle and what, to, to let us know like what the market uh, is lacking of, yeah. So um, may, maybe uh, Bernardo, do you want to start first? Yes, sure, very, very happy to do it. Um, so I guess I'll start with a problem statement. Uh, what we're trying to solve is how do you settle funds and payments specifically internationally, right? Today, most of global payments are still using a protocol that's more close to 50 years old. That's called SWIFT, which is basically a protocol that tells banks how to move both money and information across the globe. And I mean, if you're not familiar with payments, you would think it's actually pretty simple. It's just like, hey, you push a payment and like the receiver receives this and that's it. Unfortunately, this is actually a relatively complex database problem in a way that actually for that to happen, we need to involve first like a big chain of banks. So if I want to send money from the US to India, for example, I would need to find the closest route of banks that allow me to get there. And usually I would have to go to Chase and then Chase would go to Wells Fargo and then Wells Fargo will go to Capital One. Eventually Capital One does have a relationship with a bank in India, let's imagine, but it's not my bank in India. So I need to go move that money from Capital One to whatever bank in India. When I do that, then it needs to be another party involved, which is an international settlement chamber, which is the IBS that says like, okay, now the money moved internationally. So I need to actually close these accounts and make sure money actually left the US and now it's in India and all the way until it arrives uh, to, to India, right? To the account of my friend or whoever I'm sending money to. What we're trying to do is replace that completely and just allow to send money directly from either company to company, company to person, or person to person. And the basic idea is to use Bitcoin and specifically Lightning as a settlement layer. Uh, we started with the idea that this is a cool like peer-to-peer -peer network and it would be cool for people to actually use and spend Bitcoin directly or other cryptocurrencies. Now, I guess our value proposition is we want people to still use their fiat currencies, say dollar, euros but i want to use the power of dlts and specifically bitcoin and specifically lightning to be able to send money uh, more easily and more directly cool. 
Yeah. Um, to, like for, for those who may not familiar that uh, last bit they their end product would be like a crypto card. Um, so the mission is allow you to to pay. Actually, not it? really. Like what we did is those like the card we have two products live right now. It's the card and the wallet. Those are proof of concepts we build on top of our infrastructure. Mm. Uh, what we really needed wanted to prove is that we can actually connect a very novel Bitcoin protocol, which is the Lightning Network, which allows me to settle transactions instantly and for virtually no fees with traditional financial rails. Uh, so eventually so think about like the card that we have right now in Europe, uh, ideally would be connected to a checking account in the US and to a card in India. And actually I can, I want to create a flow between those traditional financial instruments. So you, you presume that in the future, in the payment space, more people will pay with crypto? I don't think so. Like I, I think when I started this journey, I went down to the rabbit hole. It's like, yeah, this is a solution. And then now we need to convince payers to pay with Bitcoin and merchants to accept Bitcoin. Uh, but then as you start like understanding the complexities, both at a political, technical, economic level, what needs to happen, I don't think that's a very credible future, uh, at least not in the short term. So now what we're trying to do is, okay, this is a beautiful technology that literally is the first technology ever to exist uh, that can sell like money instantly and very, very cheap. Now I want to actually connect it to the rails. So people can use their credit cards as they use it. They can like send wires as they used to do. Uh, they can pay payroll for people that are in the other side of the world, but just do it like super, super fast and super cheap. Uh, but I don't want to change the behavior of either merchants or consumers. I see. So make, but make the processing faster. And cheaper, yeah. Uh, and I guess okay. just to put in this in perspective, like today it's li literally economically unviable to send $1 across the globe. With Lightning, I can send cents and still be economically viable. And then usually uh, mm -hmm. the average international transfer, uh, and that can be again like e-commerce, like me paying with a Mexican card at a European retailer, or it can be me sending money back to my family in Mexico. The average cost of those transactions are usually six to 7%. With our technology, mm -hmm. we can go all the way down to one or less, depending on a few economics that I can describe if you find it interesting, but that, that's where the disruption happens. I see. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Betty, do you want to uh, talk about like um, how you think uh, the current financial infrastructure is lack of and how DeFi and uh, perhaps your project is aiming to tackle this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can I can talk about maybe broadly what crypto is solving and then drill down to specifically how Akala uh, is participating in this you know, new innovation. Um, I think the first thing to point out, probably struck everyone, is uh, nobody actually owned anything before Bitcoin. Um, we, we, we think we have a bank card and then there's some numbers on there, uh, but we don't actually own the money in there. I don't know if anyone realized. Uh, I, I'm currently in New Zealand. We have an almost perfect, like uh, like a safe haven economy. Uh, the government is, you know, quite good. Uh, so we don't feel any of those risks of a bank run or the bank can close down, and then they could all of a sudden recall uh, the le uh, legal tender, right? Which happened in India uh, and some other countries. Uh, that you suddenly realize uh, what you own 
uh, in the in a car is actually IOU. So I think for the first time, ownership becomes very clear, um, and individual actually have sovereignty of their property uh, or value uh, uh, after Bitcoin uh, is invented. And obviously, with the technology that Bitcoin provides, then we start to be able to or uh, imagine or invent technology that allows us to own almost anything. Uh, which you know today, you know you have NFT, and then you have uh, various different uh, crypto representation uh, for ownership of real uh, assets. So I think that is the very very important uh, point to point out. Um, but uh, after Bitcoin, though, Bitcoin solved one very specific problem, like store value, uh, uh, transact value, and also ownership of value. So those are the key things that Bitcoin solves. And if I use analogy, uh, Bitcoin is a little bit like a calculator uh, in terms of technology, because it does one specific thing really well, uh, but uh, not until Ethereum being invented, uh, you know, people start to realize uh, not just a calculator, that you can uh, have a ledger and do trustless transactions. Now you have a virtual machine. A, a virtual machine is basically uh, a computer that you can write programs on top. This is all the fuss about programmable money. It's all because of on top of the ledger, the Bitcoin ledger, which is ex Ethereum has exactly the same ledger as Bitcoin, right? almost the same. And then on top of that, you've got a virtual machine that you can now write program, uh, become programmable money. And this is where you, know, uh, you use the term FinTech or whatever, you know, financial uh, engineering innovation that start to happen on top of this base layer of ledger. Um, so I think that that is the second most important uh, uh, thing that happened in the evolution of the technology that we are seeing. Um, and if I use an analogy, uh, Ethereum is more like a mainframe computer uh, that also happened in our uh, history, right? So it's basically one computer that the entire world is trying to access and do transaction. And you can imagine what happens uh, if everyone's trying to do that? Uh, you know, for transacting uh, $25, sending from my account to my friend's account, it costs you $100, right? <laughs> this is what happened when the network is congested. You're using one computer to serve everybody's needs. Um, and of course, in the last few years, uh, 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 a number of, you know, uh, efforts has been made to scale. So this is one of the specific uh, uh, problems in the blockchain industry when it goes to meet the mainstream, right? Uh, yeah. Some of the folks here, you know, like it's trying to uh, create solutions between CFI, DeFi, blockchain, fintech. But as soon as you touch a mainstream mass market, you have a scalability uh, issue. Um, that, that's one. And then the second issue that we are facing is fragmentation. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Bitcoin has various different representation on, on five to 10 different blockchains. Um, and what happens then, right? And then, and then your assets are fragmented in different places. Uh, how do you actually pull together those liquidity so that you can serve the end user uh, better? Um, so those are the two things that uh, probably uh, in, uh, for Akala and also in, more in general, uh, Polkadot is trying to uh, address. Um, so a bit uh, more specifically is, uh, one thing that we see is the future is gonna be multi-chain. The future is gonna be like cloud computing. Uh, where no one actually realized what happens below the cloud, which is the internet protocol, the TCP IP. Nobody actually cares how that works once that becomes a protocol across the board. And this is uh, Polkadot and also some other uh, internet of blockchain protocols are trying to solve at their level. So that's more uh, layer zero protocols. 
Um, and then on top of that, you will see uh, many different blockchains. So Akala is one of those blockchains, and there are many others are building on top of that. Um, we are also blockchains. We are, we are more like Ethereum uh, uh, as a full-fledged blockchain, but we are specialized. So the future will be multi-chain and also specialized blockchain solve one domain problem really well. Because one thing you will realize is as soon as you trying to solve the world's problem, finance, uh, social media, uh, internet of things, uh, you're gonna have different compromises, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If you do one financial transaction at the volume of $100 million, you are okay to pay a fee of $1,000 because that is the margin that you're working with. But if you're buying a crypto kitty, uh, which has a fixed price of $150, there's no way you're gonna pay $1,000, right? So they, they are different, they're serving different customers and needs. So the compromises and sacrifices you, you're willing to take is very different. So then, you know, uh, in, in the history of technology, then it also encourages everyone to specialize uh, uh, in the domain. So you don't need to have the same compromises have others. So the future of blockchain will be specialized blockchains, but are able to be connect together like the internet we have today, and then they become uh, ubiquitous. Um, so once we have those infrastructure, so Akala is one of those infrastructure builders, I guess, uh, and serving that level. And then once we are able to connect us together and building those infrastructure, what we are seeing, so we are uh, also connecting with the Web2 uh, and also the uh, FinTech or, or CeFi companies. So there's a new term that uh, I sort of invented, uh, see if you like it, is I think the future is going to be a marriage of CeFi or centralized finance or, or, or TradeFi and DeFi. So it's going to be a hybrid finance, uh, which I call yeah. HiFi, right? Um, uh, and then I've got folks, you know, you can imagine, you know, if you are a crypto holder, you've got your Bitcoin today, you're staring at the price, you're happy when the price up and you're sad when it's down, right? And then you're jealous when Dodge goes to the moon. Uh, but beyond that, you have nothing else to do. Uh, however, in the future, you know, you, you can very easily cross those Bitcoin um, and then uh, in Akala, there's a set of financial products can expose Bitcoin holders without selling their Bitcoin position to participate in you know, proof of stake network, earning a, a stable income, uh, like a savings account, right? Um, and then also participate in various, uh, I guess, financial activities to make your Bitcoin really work for you. Um, and also, uh, if you don't want to expose your privacy, there's also privacy chain that you can do you know, a route then it comes back with a privacy coin, right? Today, everybody's building that infrastructure, but once we get there, you know, you can hold a debit card. You can imagine you hold a debit card and then either you put dollar in or you put Bitcoin in. And at the end, uh, you're earning a stable, uh, you know, five to 10% stable uh, return, uh, you know, with privacy protected. And if you want to be, uh, you know, dollar denominated reinvest in Bitcoin and other baskets of assets is very easily to be done uh, provided by, you know, DeFi protocols. But of course, if I'm going to serve my mom and dad, you know, who live in a particular jurisdiction, we're going to rely on CeFi providers to, uh, you know, deliver that last mile uh, uh, sort of uh, services. So, uh, yeah, so, so those, those are the stuff that, you know, Akala uh, or, or more like the DeFi infrastructure are, are more focused on to be able to power uh, that level of, uh, I guess, integration um, and also uh, the, the set of uh, DeFi uh, instruments so folks, you know, more at a level above us or consumer uh, focused products can integrate uh, and then be able to deliver that to uh, folks uh, in various different uh, countries or jurisdictions. 
Yeah. yeah so hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And uh, I, I think Betty uh, have a very good point that when we talk about a problem of the current fintech, it's not just about like the problem of the existing finance. Uh, financial infrastructure itself, but also the opportunity that lies uh, ahead within DeFi, right? And that is how the cross-chain and the scalability play come into play uh, that DeFi has extended uh, beyond Ethereum. Uh, yeah, and uh, when we talk about DeFi, I, I think we are at a very uh, exciting times that many uh, more users uh, that is not uh, that doesn't have crypto experience before we're trying to enter into DeFi. Um, so I want to ask uh, for the uh, on behalf of participants that uh, when we like enter into the area of DeFi, what will be the, the uh, main uh, benefits, but uh, also what will be the risk uh, that we need to take care of? Uh, perhaps that you can share some light on the risk and opportunity part. And uh, Ashley, you can also uh, share with us about uh, like any suggestions for first time user of DeFi. Yeah. Uh, I think firstly is like a lot of stuff people have to realize are experiments, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. about a few years ago, uh, when the first time um, I put some money like dollars into Compound and I was pretty shocked uh, in terms of like the interest rate I was earning, it's like constantly 10% um, uh, throughout the year. And then last week I was talking to some hedge fund managers and investment bankers. Uh, they couldn't get over uh, the fact that, uh, where does that 10% come from? Uh, they couldn't figure out uh, where's the supply and demand and who's taking the risk, right? So that's one very, very shocking point. And then the second shocking point, um, I had an engineering background. Um, and then back then it was like, when I go to a bank, right? And then when I, when I borrow, there's a minimum of double digit of interest I have to pay. Uh, but when I deposit money, and this is pre-COVID, it's usually uh, below 5% single digit uh, interest that I earn. Uh, where does that middle thing go? Goes? Where, where does that you know, 10, 20% wet? Uh, you know, who, who, took, who took the cheese? Who took the money? So, um, and, and you realize, you know, uh, 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 Compound as one of the examples, I think there's a lot more we can do there, uh, is they're, they're directly matching supply and demand. Um, and we have this model uh, building up peer-to-peer -peer lending or borrowing uh, in many different markets. Uh, it's particularly popular in the Asian markets. Um, however, there is many instances of bank run when you go into the peer-to-peer -peer, you know, uh, 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 lending and borrowing because there's no secure, no guarantees, right? So when it's on the crypto network, on the, on the, on the Ethereum network, on the blockchain network, um, many aspects of the security is actually guarantees. This is very amazing because uh, everyone can actually go in, uh, verified all the stuff that I said, and all the interest rate is calculated. I think this is like no matter or no matter how Ethereum or any of those protocols codes will go down in history. I think everyone is going to remember that oh, that that light uh, light bulb moment of whoa, this is actually possible. I think that's. That's one thing that's really inspiring uh, many of us here today to actually build on top of that, you know, uh, you know, push the innovation boundary uh, further. So yeah, so that that's more of a per personal uh, experience. Is like, you know, don't think about this as like you're gonna get rich quick just by putting money in DeFi. This everything we're doing here is like experimental to see what actually works, what breaks, um, and how we can make it better so that mainstream people can actually use it. So. 
uh, yeah, that would be my 10 cents. Thanks. How about Ashley? Uh, what's your thought on the DeFi opportunities and risk? Yeah, I mean, I think um, my fiance came up with this analogy, so um, I'll speak to it because uh, he allowed me to, to share it. But basically, whenever there's a, a bull run and you get all these people sort of texting you and being like, hey, I know you're into crypto, you know, should I get into it? And and the analogy is sort of like, well, you know, it's like the people who have the fishing boats in Alaska and they go out and they get the, the salmon. Um, and it's sort of like asking, well, should I buy, should I buy a boat? And it's like, well, I don't know. Are you, are you ready? Do you, do you have the knowledge? Um, do you have the skills? Have you done the research? Um, and so I think it's very important for those of us who are in the space and who have the understanding and the knowledge not to, to mislead. Um, I think if you look on, on crypto Twitter and you see a lot of really positive things, you're like, oh, I told this person to buy Bitcoin 10, or you know, six years ago. And, and that's great. I mean, those stories are awesome, but I think it sort of is adding a layer that is disguising the complexities of what's going on under the surface. Um, so we, and, and this is a real story, we just raised funds for, for our company. We, we raised our seed round and and it went really well. And now we're in the situation of managing our treasury. And of course we're taking, you know, a pretty conservative approach, um, but we also, you know, want to, to have some exposure to DeFi. And even the complexity of doing that, of a company of crypto, you know, nerds who have been in the space for a long time. And we're like, wait, do we stake the curve governance token or what do we do with that? I mean, if we're having trouble with it, you have to then step back and say, how appropriate is it to really be promoting this as um, as something that you know people should should jump into um, without you know like us taking a lot of time and research and experimentation? So um, my viewpoint in terms of the risk reward is is definitely make sure that we're staying honest and true to how much time and experience other people have. Um, and then the second part that I'll say in terms of you know what we're doing as a company is we're actually trying to extract a lot of the complexity of DeFi um, and create a product that um, brings people who like to play in DeFi to actually provide credit to real small business owners um, that don't actually have to understand DeFi in order to understand the benefit. Um, and I think that that's really important if we as a space want to have adoption is to um, create tools and, and benefits for people that don't require them to, you know, put on a game theory hat and learn all these complex stuff. Like we, it's kind of our responsibility to create um, infrastructure that doesn't require that. So I can get more into that later, but that's my um, thesis on it. Yeah, I was speaking about the uh, small, medium enterprises. Um, I know that Resource Network, you, your project uh, has a lot of overlap with the, uh, these players who who didn't have like crypto as part of their business before, right? Um, so, and I know that last bit, uh, you, you also uh, have a business interaction with these population. Um, so maybe for, uh, because like uh, my, my personal thought is that uh, for crypto becoming the main driver of FinTech, uh, like having the small business owner on board uh, or integrate uh, crypto as part of their solution will be very important. 
Um, so what want to know that when you deal with uh, these entities, like what are their attitudes and uh, are they open or like if they are not, like how how did you do uh, to make them uh, feel comfortable? Yeah. So maybe Ashley and, and then Yeah, I mean, I think that we have the advantage that because of the pandemic and government responses right now that people are um, skeptical about fiat currencies and and programs in terms of um, like distributions of currencies and stuff like this. So I think more so than ever since I've been in crypto since 2014, um, people who are not the ones reading the white papers, taking time to understand it, are more open to the idea because it's clear that alternatives are needed, right? Like it's it, there's a feeling that well, huh, maybe there is something to that. So that's totally starting to happen. And I do think that's correlated with the the price of the currencies going up, but I don't think that's the only reason. I think that really has to do with how people are feeling about what's going on. Um, however, when I'm talking to small business owners, when our team is talking to small business owners, we are not leading with crypto at all. Um, we are positioning our, our product as more within the barter and local currency space. Um, we feel like that's a safer way for us to gain the trust, um, to not add complexity, and to explain that these are basically trade credits that you get um, for being a small business owner, that we can validate some things about your credit worthiness, um, and you can use them with other businesses in the network. And uh, when you are in a negative balance, um, you basically can settle up back to zero by selling to other businesses in the network. So for a lot of small business owners, that's like, okay, cool, that's a cool idea. Some of them add, then start to ask the questions, you know, like, well, why would I do this rather than normal currency and stuff like this? And then it's it leads you into a conversation with the business owner rather than you saying, hey, you need to get cryptocurrency. Um, and I think because of that approach, um, you, you allow them to be sort of part of the process and you allow it to be sort of like an educational learning opportunity rather than like a pure marketing sales opportunity. Um, and the, the cooler thing too about what we're doing is it's right now we're just sort of launching with this stable unit of account between businesses. Um, but we also are building a governance token, which the business owners will earn for transacting on the network, which is a whole additional layer that is um, something that we're not really launching with at this point, but which I think that once that starts to click, that loyalty points in the form of governance tokens are something fundamentally different um, for a mainstream business is the, the sort of like realization moment that I'm really excited about. Yeah, so I, I think a great takeaway uh, for, for, for the audience is that uh, when, when companies approach like uh, the SME, some some companies will like uh, resource network they won't let the uh, customer feel that there is crypto inside right at least when when starting using it uh they will approach as being uh like a, a like a service provider uh without emphasizing like the crypto element to prevent uh, complexity yeah so uh one takeaway here. so uh, bernardo do you want to share yeah. Yes, for sure. I guess like my take on this is very, very similar to Ashley's. Uh, 
I guess we as a company are very intentionally trying to step away from those like very like extreme like Bitcoin communities, which tend to have like a lot of knowledge, but then also are correlated with some things that are not necessarily applicable for the rest of the world and make it a little hard to actually build things that are useful for the real world. Uh, so eventually what we want to do as a company is try to position ourselves as a payment service provider that just allows people to facilitate payments for their customers in an easier, cheaper way, and really never even talk about Bitcoin and Lightning at all. And only come to that if they actually ask us, hey, how does this work? Uh, how is that like all these other providers kind of offer me this interesting economics and this specific uh, type of flows that are very, very hard to get from other providers? Why can you do it? And then I would, of course, engage in a conversation with them. I would kind of explain why this is possible with the technology we're working on. But I just mm -hmm. don't really feel like approaching the conversation was like, hey, we're this super cool Bitcoin company and you should just use Bitcoin because it's cool and like the price is super high. It's that, in my opinion, it's it's a very hard sell. Um, we actually, it's very funny because as a company, we started being more Bitcoin centric. Again, like the premise we were working on is the same. Exactly. Hi-Fi. Exactly. I think we were like a very good like example of, of that. We started yeah. saying like the technology itself, when you studied, and just to give a little background of who I am and like how I ended up in the space. Uh, I'm not like Ashley that has been like working on this for seven years. Actually, my background is I've been working close to banks and traditional payments for seven years. And actually my first project ever, uh, I was actually trying to solve how to price payments and specifically digital payments, which is like through interchange fees. Mm -hmm. And it's just a mess because there's so many parts involved it's very, very messy and it gets super hard to actually incentivize both merchants and customers to enter the system and to foster digital payments. So I've been like very close to that pro problem for, yeah, close to seven years. And back and forth, I've been involved in payments and I've been involved with big projects to try to solve this uh, in Mexico and also in South America. So eventually when I was like, in the Bay and I was really exposed to this technology. I was able to learn directly from people that were working on this and finally understood what it meant. For me, it was very clear that this was a very compelling technical solution for a technical problem, which is how do you settle transactions and payments. Um, so that's kind of like why I transitioned. Mm. And eventually as along the way, we realized, okay, this is a cool solution and it feels like it's ready to go because it's actually like allows you to just like do it right now. But then there's a massive problem, right? Like what's harder to convince all the merchants to go into bitcoin all the customers to go into bitcoin which is like pretty cool and everyone that is in this industry has probably a slightly revolutionary spirit and that sounds amazing and empowering people directly and but honestly that's not gonna happen so what we believe now is like actually it's way more likely and way more immediately usable to do this as, as that says like hi-fi model in which we actually already use the rails already use the money that people are used to using but just in a way that's more usable for them. Um, and again, I think that's the way to go. There's still a lot of things that need to be solved. Uh, we're starting with the international settlement because this is the part of the global payment stack that's the most broken. But ultimately, if you analyze even how payments are processed in the US internally, it's incredibly inefficient. Like, you, like doing an ACH can take days, right? If you want to do a wire, it's super expensive then a lot of merchants pay ridiculous amount of fees to receive payments in the US, which is the biggest economy in the world. So we want to start with that, but eventually we do want to drive disruption and bring this technology to other more local use cases. Um, 
And again, I think about this as literally like laying the foundations of highways, right? Like this is what it is. I just want to connect points more directly. It's like changing from highways to helicopters, right? Like this is the way I see it. <laughs> so and, uh, I, I think one, uh, like for those who, who don't know, like FBIT, uh, they are part of the uh, visa fast track program, right? So mm -hmm. uh, this, that is also, uh, that leads me want, want to ask you that, uh, like how did you work with big companies like Visa and what is their current support uh, during the program? Because yeah. when we talk about say crypto startups going to become the name driver of FinTech, uh, it's actually very interesting to see these legacy FinTech companies. They actually mm -hmm. want to go the other way. Like they want to uh, have more involvement with crypto. Yeah. And it seems that there, this program is uh, is a very good example. So as an insider, like how's your experience and how did they actually help you? Yeah, sure. Let me try to answer the question like twofold, I guess. First, general, how we started, how was that? And then specifically about Visa, that I think like they are actually a yeah, very yeah, interesting yeah. company. Uh, so at the beginning, it was actually very hard uh, because traditional financial institutions, processors, banks are scared, like very scared of crypto because they don't understand it and they associate like hey if you're gonna touch bitcoin like 100 this money like it's being used to buy cocaine or to buy guns or to pay for like slayers i guess like that's like what they believe and like in a way like it's true like there's still a like big illegal market for this but then it takes some convincing to make them understand how you can actually control the entry entries and exits, how you can actually know who's sending and who's receiving if you really want to do it, which is always our approach. And once that's clear for them, they are actually more open, but to convince MasterCard to work with us uh, in, in Europe, it took us like a year probably from their like preliminary yes to they am actually saying like, okay, yes, like you can issue this card and you can like put it out. Uh, yeah. And now, now that we've like have some degree of like strong validators, we're working with Visa, they're okay with that. We have like banking partners in Europe and they're okay with that. We got into Y Combinator there. And then it, it just like this deal started to become easier for us, right? Like now it's like, okay, maybe these guys are not as shady. Maybe they're not facilitating legal stuff, but at the beginning it's complicated. And then on the Visa side, I think, again, it was hard for us to get it uh, in the program at the beginning because we were underfunded and we there was some like a pushing we need to, to do. Now they're way more open. They are like admitting smaller companies. I think also, I think it's very cool about Visas. They're actually very open about like engaging with technologies that are disruptive. And I think Visa is a company that in my opinion does understand very well what crypto means for them. So particularly a few months ago or weeks ago, they actually started doing this project with crypto.com which is basically settling transactions using yeah. bitcoin well not bitcoin it's a stablecoin but it's like it's the same so they realize a we have these rules that visa created to settle card transactions but actually there's this technology that allows me to do it more directly uh, so for me it's kind of scary because it's this kind of the thing i want to do but it's also like a massive validator that the biggest payment company in the world realizes that there's this technology that can do their job better and they're trying to step into it Hmm, I see, I see. Yeah, uh, speaking about like stable coins, uh, I, I personally think that uh, for crypto going to FinTech, uh, stable coins will be a very important element. Um, so I want to open this uh, question like to all the speakers. Uh, 
uh, maybe start from Ashley because uh, uh, because your product has uh, stable coins play, plays a very important role, right? So I want to know uh, maybe the opportunities uh, lies ahead in stable coin, like why people want to use stable coin over fiat when they are all packed in the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's interesting, because that's the, the question that we get from a lot of the business owners. Um, and from a business owner perspective, are the reason is that you then can get a credit line that you don't have to pay back in your cash flow. So it's a separate credit line or complementary currency, as we call it. Um, so it means that for a business owner, like a lot of the things that you sort of like put off you're more willing to get a credit line to, to access. Um, and those are things like, you know, your social media strategy or your digital marketing or um, that person that you would really like to hire to clean your shop and like you're doing all the work and so you're tired. So those kinds of things. Um, on a crypto level, our stablecoin is interesting because I, we think it's one of the first ones that uh, allows you to spend into the negative. So basically we have a wallet with a, a stable coin that has a negative balance. Um, we think that that's super interesting also because the, the way that our stable coin is designed is that its value comes from businesses agreeing to honor uh, those negative balances in terms of when someone comes to their shop to purchase from them, they will honor the other businesses um, offer and basically be able to settle up their balances that way. Um, there's a term that we use, it's called endogenous money, which means that the money is arising from within the system. Um, it's not something that was created from someone locking some collateral in a vault and then saying, here, the currency exists. Um, so it is the definition of something that's trust-backed. Uh, of course, there's a lot of ways that that could be gamed or go wronged, and so that's when the idea of credit score comes in, and a credit score that, you know, both is leveraging what's going on in the business's history in the external world, but also, like, about rewarding good behavior within our system, and uh, something that's always been very uh, clear to me in terms of what the blockchain ledger provides is a um, a perfect way for people to build reputation as the basis for them to be able to trade. And so I think that systems like this and other people in the space who are working around credit scoring and who are working around um, uh, stable coins that are uncollateralized trade um, is where I think is like the most sort of interesting innovations of where we're going in terms of democratizing access to the financial system. Because in order to do that, and I think what we're learning is it's not just about creating coins that we can send around and lowering transaction fees, which is super important. We need to do that. But we also need to figure out how do we trust who we're sending it to. Um, so I think that this is the, the part of the innovation that I'm super excited about. And we're just now starting to sort of dip the toes into what that's going to look like. Mm -hmm. I see. Uh, Betty, how about your thoughts on stable coins? Uh, Akala should have its own uh, stable coins as well, right? So, yeah. Maybe uh, you can. Yeah, start. so I think. Yeah, let's go on. Yeah, I think, I think uh, 
we're in the transition period, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, where you know uh, assets like Bitcoin and some other crypto, what well, native crypto assets, uh, they're very volatile. Uh, because it's mostly because the pawn is very small right now versus the uh, actual financial market we are any any sort of uh, uh, you know reasonable amount of uh, uh, you know uh, fiat on ramp uh, it's going to cause a dramatic market fluctuation you know for example whenever uh, Elon Musk tweeted about Dogecoin uh, or uh, his own company Tesla start putting Bitcoin onto their treasury uh, you see this significant spike and that's only relative because uh, once Bitcoin or any of those uh, you know, significant crypto assets uh, becomes as significant as our current financial market, uh, you know, Elon Musk is not going to make a huge difference, uh, mm -hmm. only because we're at the very beginning of the transition. So you see this up and down. And when there is fluctuation uh, for people at this early stage trying to do business, it's very unpredictable and it's not very good uh, with you know, uh, uh, how you plan your business and resources. Um, so at least for now and a foreseeable future, uh, some sort of stable currency uh, is going to be very useful uh, for you know, just normal business operation. Uh, but also, uh, it is also used currently as a, uh, a level point uh, for traders um, and, and also people who does leverage trading um, uh, in a market to kind of take uh, advantages of the market fluctuation. So there's two or three different type of uh, use cases for stablecoin. Uh, one is actual business. So for example, we have a collaboration with a, a team called a Centrifuge, right? Uh, so, so they actually tokenize real world assets like uh, accounts payable, invoices. Uh, we're very close to each other. So they've just announced that uh, that, that their tokenized uh, assets becomes uh, a collateral uh, in MakerDAO, right? So using using uh, those tokenized real world assets as collateral to borrow a stablecoin, like US dollars. And with those US dollars, you can off run that into fiat and then actually become a working capital for those small and medium businesses. Um, and of course, they can only do that much uh, on the Ethereum network because of how expensive it is. The cost of doing business on there is becoming increasingly mm -hmm. Uh, unbearable, uh, especially you know if you're talking about uh, SMEs. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, so we are uh, so so they've built part of their network on substrates, which is the Polkadot technology. Um, and then as soon as we uh, become a mainnet uh, together, then obviously you know that would be one of the uh, use cases uh, on Akala uh, to actually be able to generate those uh, working capitals uh, for. Uh, their customer and and also you know for centrifuge that's only one use cases right if you can tokenize accounts payable invoices uh, imagine what else you can actually tokenize uh, the real world assets but also can off ramp those real world uh, th th those digital currency into the real world fiat so that you can actually pay for real things for real business operations um, so that's one uh, I guess one re reasonably small uh, use case currently in in the in the in the crypto world um, and the other use cases is obviously internet, international uh, uh, transfer of money. So the largest one is USDT in the world. Uh, I can't remember how many billion dollars uh, or trillion dollars they have. Um, and it's mostly used to transfer uh, money across the borders for paying businesses, uh, paying employees, paying suppliers, uh, and also settlement of funds, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And that, that's one of the main reasons why they exist. So they are also uh, launching on Polkadot directly. So there will be uh, you know, minting and uh, burning of USDT uh, on uh, a Polkadot network. And obviously that has a direct trustless connection to Akala. Uh, so USDT will be floating on Akala and power some of the operations uh, on Akala as well. 
uh, on trading as well as potentially as also filling our stablecoin. And then that comes mm -hmm. to the third uh, use cases for stablecoin uh, is actually the crypto native uh, uh, financial operations. Um, so for example, uh, we have a multi-credalized stablecoin called Akala uh, dollar, uh, which you, you can basically think about that as uh, in a real world, uh, you go into a bank and then you uh, borrow against your house. And then you, you open a credit line for your house, a revolving credit for your house, you borrow $100,000. And then you use that $100,000 to renovate your house. Um, so that you increase value of your property or asset, right? So this is in the real world, how uh, getting a credit line can actually help increase your wealth and, and also sustain the growth of your uh, assets, right? So uh, on the uh, DeFi arena or on blockchain, you can also do this, but completely trustlessly and very seamlessly. So an example I will give is on Akala, you can use your, you can think about the native crypto assets like the house. So for example, your Bitcoin, or the ETH uh, assets are like your house. You know they're real assets, right? But crypto, and then you can you can collateralize your your Bitcoin, um, and then open a credit line so you can borrow US dollars against your Bitcoin, and then with the dollars uh, that you borrowed out, there's a number of things you can do. Uh, if you are a hardcore Bitcoiner, you can certainly buy more Bitcoin. That basically you kind of double down on your Bitcoin ownership. You kind of loan Bitcoin. Um, and the mm -hmm. second thing you can do uh, is yeah, you can you know, uh, trade that with some uh, uh, staking assets. So we have a product called liquid staking. Um, as soon as you purchase that liquid staking token, you're basically sitting on staking yield. So that is on Polkadot right now, it's 15 to 20% stable uh, income every year. So imagine, of course, you know, imagine you can, you can you know, sit on your Bitcoin and then using the uh, staking yield uh, it probably pay, pay back your interest rate, which is quite low, um, and also enjoy a stable income for yourself, right? Rather than just sitting mm -hmm. on uh, sort of uh, a passive uh, Bitcoin uh, value appreciation. So, mm -hmm. uh, but of course, none of that is uh, financial advice. Um, and, uh, and, and beyond that, uh, beyond that, yeah, so there's uh, many more uh, folks are building on top of platforms like Akala uh, to create portfolio management tools um, and yield engine uh, so that uh, consumers can very easily to choose, um, you know, high risk appetite. Uh, this is my $2,000, provide me, you know, 20% return. I'm very low risk appetite, 5% is fine, but please guarantee my principal is, is untouched. So there are, uh, you know, sales teams on Akala network uh, is building those products. And then they are, we're also working with uh, Web2 companies and they're plugging that all into their uh, I guess financial engines, right? So, or, or, or the or the cards they have uh, for millions of users. So, uh, yeah. So this is, uh, I guess, the few use cases for stablecoin. I see. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. Like uh, Bernardo, do you want to have some comments? Yes, absolutely. I guess. I, I I mean, of course, I'm not an expert on stablecoins, but I guess I can walk you through our rationale why we don't use them. Because I do believe, yeah, as Betty said, like one of the like most obvious use cases is for cross-border payments, which is mm -hmm. kind of like exactly what we're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And I guess I can like put into context kind of like why we don't use stablecoins and then how we may or may not use them when required for specific use cases. Mm -hmm. no? But I guess for us... Uh, Right now that we're working uh, with Bitcoin, the, re the, the main rationale 
because of why we do that is because for us, we want to tap into the last mile of payment, which is basically traditional financial services, right? And again, like I want to use Bitcoin and specifically this protocol that's called Lightning to settle transactions. So for me to be able to scale this in a global manner, I need one thing that is super, super important. I need enough liquidity to enter and exit fiat markets because I actually want to be able to provide my end users or the customers of my clients, would it be like fintechs, real money. Uh, so, and quote unquote, real money, right? That they can actually go and use at points of sales that are already there. They can use in any traditional payment gateway. They can go to an ATM and withdraw cash. Um, so for me, like there's no real contender to offer me the liquidity that Bitcoin has, which is, I mean, it's by far 67% of the market capitalization in all crypto assets, right? So that's that's number one. And then second, of course, as, as Betty said, uh, there's a huge problem in volatility, right? And which I do believe, again, like I think we rely on that it's going to be solved. Right now we're in a stage of adoption that's minimal from what I'm expecting. And as we transition into that, the spikes will not be as big as they are right now. Nevertheless, uh, we do have a technology right now that allows us to completely eliminate that risk for us, which is this protocol that I've been mentioning for a while, which is the Bitcoin Lightning Network, which basically allows me to create payment channels on top of Bitcoin. So I can use Bitcoin as an asset, use the liquidity of Bitcoin, but at the same time have zero exposure to the actual volatility. Um, so that's kind of like how we think about why Bitcoin and why Lightning versus stablecoins. Um, and then, I mean, stablecoins for us is not necessarily a no-go. Like if we go and see a specific use case that may require us to tap into like stablecoins, for example, if I want to serve clients in Nigeria and they have the need to have whole dollars, but there's no way I can sponsor a dollar account for them in Nigeria yeah. or a Nigerian bank, then I can come and bring some degree of stablecoins to have the exposure they want. But as payments, I would always rather use like fiat and traditional payment instruments for what we're building. Okay, yeah. Okay, uh, like because of the time, uh, like I will summarize here and uh, thanks for the attendees who, uh, who are still with us now. Um, so like back like to uh, align with the topic that we were discussing how crypto startups can become a next driver of impact. Right, and uh, after the roundtable, uh, my takeaway is that uh, like there are several key uh, key factors. Like one is like payment infrastructure, uh, such as uh, what uh, Lastbit is aiming to do, and uh, that is uh, supported by blockchain and uh, the advanced use case of Bitcoin thanks to Lightning Network. And another will be like credit line, uh, such as like what uh, resource network uh, what Ashley's company is trying to do. Uh, and the other is, another trend uh, is that big fintech companies uh, like Visa is joining the world. So when we talk about crypto and fintech, it's not that crypto wanting to uh, cooperate with fintech companies, but it's also the other way around. So that's also a, a interesting trend to remember. And, uh, and then uh, stable coins can also become a very integral part uh, within the DeFi ecosystem. Uh, at least uh, that uh, is very important for so-called crypto-native population. And another trend uh, that is happening uh, for crypto and fintech uh, is the real-world asset tokenization. Uh, we may have another uh, session talking about this more as well. 
So yeah, so thank you all for joining and uh, Eugene and I will uh, will see like how to uh, make the recording or uh, some notes uh, to the wider public uh, so that we can make uh, the most efficient uh, like outcome for, for this discussion to make more people know. Yeah, so th thanks yeah. again. <clears throat> Andrea, do you want to open for some Q and A's from the attendants? Uh, yeah, like uh, if any attendees uh, want to, want, want, uh, yeah, want, want live Q and A, uh, can raise your hand virtually. Yeah, so thank you everyone for joining. Um, if you would like to ask a question, feel free to raise your hand and I will allow you to speak. Yeah, I think um, there is one question in the chat, like how, yeah. uh, how do you think about <coughs> on RAM offerings? Um, so maybe Bernardo? Like, yeah, you know? I guess I can take that one uh, because it's kind of like exactly what's the hardest thing for us to pull off. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to try to give a compelling answer to this, but basically like for this in the stage we are in the development of the industry and the technology, it all ultimately comes to convincing a bank to give me access to their accounts. Uh, it's as simple as that, because we already have the technology to move money, as we described, we already have the technology to move, move it fast and efficiently. We already have like a soup developed exchange ecosystem of course like with a ipo of coinbase that's kind of like the cherry on top of like the development of this part of the technology and that's that's important because coinbase can actually or coinbase kraken uh, binance the big exchanges now credibly can give me as a company like fiat money in my hand so what's left and that's the part where you're trying to solve is convince as many banks as as many financial institutions to give me access to their products right so we can start with checking accounts, then we can go to any type of acquiring system, which means like, how do I make sure like merchants can actually receive money from Bitcoin or for, from crypto? And we can go into like expanding that to other products, right? Like debit cards, prepaid cards, like wallets. Um, so that's kind of like, for me, it's just, it, it ultimately just comes to that. Um, business development, convincing, showing them the power uh, because the infrastructure already exists. I just need to put it together. I don't know if that answers the question, but if not, please let me know. I'm happy to hold down. Yeah, I, I, can, I can add my 10 cents. So um, I think, I think Bernardo, you're exactly right. It's like, uh, it, it, takes, it takes people's mindset to change, right? Uh, both from a regulatory perspective, as well as from those trade people. Uh, to actually yeah, take the red pill, I guess. Um, but I think I think we are already pretty lucky. Uh, it's about ten years on since Bitcoin is invented. Um, even from a recent development, for example, uh, we have our backers from DRW Cumberland. Uh, we have Digital Currency Group, uh, all as our backers, and also Coinbase uh, Venture. Um, so m many of these, they are pure crypto, uh, hybrid crypto, uh, or crypto friendly. Uh, uh, traditional businesses, uh, they are all very open at this stage uh, to actually, you know, moving to new space uh, or taking on new ventures. Um, once, once we got to, you know, uh, co collaboration at that stage, then we'll have very easy access for on-ramp and off-ramp. Uh, but of course, it also takes companies like Stripe, right? Uh, maybe not Stripe specifically, but like a Web3 version of Stripe, uh, that they can actually take on, you know, partly compliant solution to, to on-ram, off-ram very easily. We see a, a, quite a few of those solutions coming out now. 
um, to be able to plug into many of the Web3 solutions to provide those uh, access. Of course, the fees are quite, uh, quite daunting uh, currently. Uh, but other than that, I think the tech is there. Um, and also more and more, this serious players in the markets uh, are moving into the space. Uh, so I think uh, it's only, I think it's only time uh, for us to actually get to a stage that all of this stuff is going to be uh, streamlined. Um, and of course, uh, all of the stuff that we're talking about requires many people building. So I think many of you are listening here, MBA students or people who are curious or interested, uh, that there are a lot of opportunities in this space. If you've got a financial background uh, or you're in just purely interested in crypto or technology, there's many job opportunities. So take the red pill and join the uh, revolution. So. Okay, uh, I think uh, it's pretty much if we don't have more questions. So thank you. And um, I, um, we, we have a Slack, right? Do we have a Slack group that yes, if anyone, do have or, or we can actually send the link uh, to your email because the Zoom can save messages. And, yeah. Okay, yeah, thank you for your time. And let's keep in touch and uh, we'll see like if we will have more uh, events uh, like around crypto as well. So th thanks again for to our great speakers. Uh, the projects are really good and looking forward to the development. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. You, Thank you everyone. Bye. Thank you.